Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, we're going to talk college football national championship Alabama against Georgia with Matt Baker coming up in just a minute. But first, a little bit of Antonio Brown news, only this time from Antonio Brown and his lawyer and the statement that Antonio put out. Wow, this had a little bit of news in it. Um, It's going to come down to who you believe. But Antonio Brown had a fairly detailed statement that described sort of what his version of events were on Sunday on the sideline that led to him, you know, having the dramatic exit from MetLife Stadium that we all saw. And, you know, Brown says, first of all, that his ankle was a problem, has been a problem. We know this. You know, he missed a bunch of games. His his last game was October 14th at Philadelphia. And then, of course, he had the suspension. And when he came back, uh, a couple of weeks ago at Carolina, he had the 10 catches, 101 yards. Didn't practice last week. Um, practiced Wednesday in a walkthrough, but then didn't practice the rest of the week. Was cleared to play. Went out there Sunday, played 26 snaps in the first half. And then something happened in the second half where we know that Bruce Arians said that he asked him to go back in the game. He didn't or wouldn't. And Arians said, well, you know, then you're done. Uh presumably for the day, but A.B. took that to mean for the the rest of his career. And then, of course, he did what he did, threw up his shoulder pads. We've all seen that. Brown now says in his statement that he was injected with a painkiller, which I don't even know. I didn't think they did that anymore. They used to do that with Tordal all the time. He said he was injected with a painkiller that he's found that the NFLPA doesn't allow. But regardless, he said he was forced to play with a bone fragment and other damage to his left ankle during Sunday's 28-24 win over the Jets, and that he he refused to play hurt in the second half. He said that uh, Coach Bruce Arians told him, you're done, and he ran his finger across his throat. Arians ran his finger across his own throat in a slashing motion, and that was all in a a statement that um, Brown released through his attorney, Sean Burston, Wednesday night. And we know that Brown then, you know, went nuts, um or acted sort of, you know, impulsively, took off his his jersey and shoulder pads, flung his undershirt, gloves into the seats, uh, you know, went across the end zone, into MetLife, got a ride out of there, all that. Um, Didn't travel with the team. And when Bruce Arians came in, he said he's no longer a buck, right? Um, But Brown is having his say now and said, look, first they cut me, now they cage me. Um, instead of asking how I felt or getting to the bottom of it, the team texted my camp and um, basically promoting a total false narrative that I randomly acted out without any explanation. They even told us in writing, don't spin this any other way. And he said the worst part has been the Bucks' sort of insistence on on portraying this as 
you know, AB having sort of a a random outburst or meltdown, I guess. And they're telling people that, you know, first he walked off and then he was cut. He says, no, no, I was cut first and then I went home. They threw me out like an animal and I refused to wear their brand on my body, so I took off my jersey. Steve Ersnick, this is not uh, heading in the direction that I think uh, the Buccaneers would like. <laughs> um, I mean, their options here would seem there's more we're going to get into about him being in New York and being examined by a Dr. Martin O'Malley at the hospital for special surgery. He he, he did this on his own. He said that, that the MRIs revealed he had bone fragments, ligament tear in his in his uh, from the bone, cartilage loss, all of that. The Bucks on Wednesday wanted him to go see a doctor at the same hospital of their choosing, and he said he only was given an hour to do so, and it was a junior doctor, and, well, he didn't go. So... The Bucks are trying to confirm, you know, his injury. Um, I think they would put him on IR. There's only one week left in the season. He clearly doesn't want to play. So, I mean, this notion that if they released him, that some team may pick him up, I suppose they could. But he's saying he has to have surgery now on his ankle. So I don't know what the fear would be that he would go out there and perform unless they think he's jaking it. What a mess. And are we surprised? Are we surprised that this has how it has ended with Antonio Brown? Surprise? No, not surprised. Um, you'd hoped it wasn't going to end this way, but it seems like it kind of ended that way everywhere he's been. Mm-hmm. You know, Pittsburgh, Oakland, New England, yeah. and now Tampa Bay. Um, it, it's kind of a pattern now. You know, is he hurt? Does he have bone fragments in his ankle? I, I don't know. Um and it's possible the Bucks don't know at this point. I mean, you know, you and I were talking before the podcast, but if he's seen his doctor, and you're always allowed to get a second opinion, but it sounds like he doesn't have a first opinion yet. <laughs> and he went and got a second opinion. That's right. I mean, you know, and, and you got his hurt, own opinion. Your ankle's hurt. If you're having surgery, I think you'd want the NFL to pay for that, right? Or the Bucks. Yeah. You kind of have to go through their doctors first. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I, I you know I don't know how all that works with collective bargaining and all that, but I don't think you just get to go your own doctor and say, "Hey, I'm hurt. You're paying picking up the tab." And they no. don't they don't get any say or see in it. You know, I, I no. know in the NHL we've had an issue with Jack Eichel who wanted a surgery that's never been done on an NHL player before. Mm. And Buffalo said no, and Jack wanted it and eventually they end up trading him. Now, you know, and, and he, then Vegas said you could go ahead and get that surgery done. You know, there's a different set of circumstances, but, I mean, the teams have a say in the medical treatment. It's not, They're not necessarily the end-all, be-all, but they do have a say in it, and they have to kind of know about it. Mm-hmm. You know, so if he's if he's refusing to go to the Bucks doctors now, if they said you have one hour to get there, maybe he couldn't. I mean, I, you know, I mean, that's what he is saying. That's what he's saying, right? Yeah. You know, this is all he said, she said at this point. Well, it's not even a heat. Well, I mean, we know what the Bucks Bucks have given us a partial story about, like, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, there was a conversation. We haven't told you what it's about. He walked off. He quit. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, They were given an opportunity to respond to this this statement, this letter, essentially, that Brown had on Wednesday night, and they said no comment because it's a legal battle. Now, you know, you're Mm -hmm. looking at a grievance here. You're looking at – uh, I mean, who knows, you know, Brown, could he seek damages because um, 
of you know mistreatment of his ankle and you know uh, firing him for refusing to go out there injured like you know typically when a player is hurting right when you're in pain right and you've been playing a game and you're in pain you're on the sidelines you you go to a trainer you go to somebody on the sidelines you say yo man my ankle's killing me let's take let's check this out right do we need to tape it um do i need to go get an x-ray like you know i came into the game with a bad ankle if it was bothering him, at some point, Bobby Slater, Alex Guerrero, somebody would be called over to say, hey, man, check this guy out. What's going on with this thing? Mm-hmm. Right? That never happened, as far as I know. Now, we've, I, we've been told, I've been told uh, by various members of the staff that, that, you know, when this whole fake Vax card thing happened, you know, every week Bruce Arians was saying, well, it could go either way. And, you know, the word is that Antonio felt the relationship with the Bucks was different when he came back. He he did not feel the love. He did not feel the same support. Uh, you know, who knows why that is? Um, you know, but in this instance, I mean, they were all too happy to have him against Carolina because he went out there and, and even after not playing for six or seven weeks, he went out there and tore it up and they won the game. Um, and he was had three catches for you know, 26 yards on Sunday and again we didn't see him in pain you couldn't see a visible limp I know Certainly Brian got... Baldinger uh on Twitter put out a video of some of Antonio Brown's routes that he ran yeah you know, including the last one and it sure didn't look like he had a, an ankle problem some of the no. cuts he was making in that now that doesn't mean he didn't mm-hmm. just you know but but and, and it could have it could have gotten worse mm-hmm. at halftime because mm-hmm. I mean you know if they did give him some sort of painkiller right mm-hmm. that could have begun to wear off yes so there's a possibility that no matter what he did in the first half, that it wasn't feeling good enough to play in the second half. Um, look, somewhere in there is the truth, but I'm with you. I, I mean, the Bucks obviously, they have they had some choices, but once a player goes, hey, yo, you put me out there hurt, right? I just got a second opinion, and this dude says I have this, this, and this. The Bucks' only recourse at that point, I think, is to say, well, let us check you out mm-hmm. with our doctors, mm-hmm. you know, because we know doctors have a difference of opinion all the time. And if we find there to be that, that diagnosis and that MRI, is that, if that's what the MRI says, and we look at you, then, then we have a baseline for putting on injury reserve or, you know, whatever. There's only one game left. I fail to believe that this is about money. I cannot believe that whatever a one-game check would be for Antonio Brown, you know, the playoff money is handled by the league. That doesn't come off the team's salary cap if you advance, mm-hmm. and you don't make that much to begin with, you know, for each round. So what are we talking about? He's a free agent well, after this year. But as soon as he claims he's hurt, that changes everything, and that means grievances and lawyers and this. So, I mean, you know, for one week, it's not it can't be the money. You're right. But, you know, he claimed apparently – Monday, he went and got his ankle checked. Probably someone in his camp told the Bucks at that point, if not Sunday night, that his ankle was feeling bad. I'm hurt. And, and so it, it becomes a legal collective bargaining issue, all that stuff that comes into play, So, which explains why the Bucks haven't made a roster move at this point. And, and it's, it's, you've got to figure out, is he truly hurt? Because if he is, that's there's you know every everything changes in that regard, from from who pays the medical bills, et cetera, you know all that stuff, and that's all yeah. part that's all part of it, part of the collective bargaining agreement. 
Exactly. And they, and they've got to have their doctors come to that termination and, and, uh, he's, he's allowed to get a second opinion, but by the same token, they have to agree with what he has. And, and pretty much what the NFL says you have is what you have, you know I mean? Um, unless you can prove it another way, but, and I'm sure that's a lot of it, right? Like a lot of it is procedural. I thought for a while that the Bucks were going to try to claim, and if you and if you listen to Brown, Brown says, you know, they're trying to paint me as a crazy guy. Well, you know, there's been some evidence of that in your life, that's for sure. Um, but you know, he, you know, if he's if he's injured, right, then. That changes the narrative. He's suggesting that they are saying because of the look, the tape is bad, right? However, he came out of that game, whatever reason he wasn't in the game, whether he's hurt, whether he was mad, whatever that was, right? You don't, you just don't typically see players shed their gear and and walk off half naked through the end zone and leave the stadium. Like that's not a practice that's typically allowed in the NFL. Um, having said that. The Bucks, according to Brown, are painting him as just having a complete mental breakdown, right? To the point where they say they have a text from their general manager, Jason Light, saying, hey, don't try to spin this any other way. Your guy had a mental breakdown, okay? And we could all interpret it that way. We all kind of saw that's a bad, that's bad tape, right? That's a, that's a bad look, right? That's an ugly moment, right? And even his teammates, we talked to Namakan Sue and some others, are like, look, you know, we're here to help him if you need. Well, who's suggesting he needs help? Well, when you see that, everybody, right? Everybody thinks, well, there must be something beyond his ankle that's causing him to act this way. Nobody would act this way. If, if they were hurt, nobody would act this way. But that's why we kept asking Bruce Arians, what was the flashpoint? What was the flashpoint? What was the flashpoint? Him saying that Bruce Arians not only said, well, you're done, meaning, and he took that to mean your your career is done here. He said he made a throat-slashing sign, you know, with his finger across his own throat, like, you know. And that's got to be on tape somewhere, right? Like some somebody had an angle of the sideline. Where's Bill Belichick when you need him? Um, <laughs> Patriots, only weren't, they were on, Patriots the, weren't on the schedule if, next. If only they were playing the Patriots that week. Uh, but... You know what I'm saying? like, But it also, like, and this is the thing, like, this is all open interpretation, right? And I'm playing just completely devil's advocate because, A, I don't know that Bruce Arians made that symbol. But let's say he did, okay? This is how crazy this can get, right? Let's say he did. But let's say, you, you know, they're in the middle of a drive. They're down 14. They're trying to call personnel groupings that include Antonio Brown. He's not on the field. So we got to get somebody else out there, right? So Byron Leftwich, who is calling the plays, looks at B.A. and says, where's A.B.? And B.A. makes the universal symbol for he's done. He's It's over. That's the finger across the throat. Like, nah, that's it. He's cut him off. You know, he's done. So who knows? Like, you're even interpreting that, right, to meaning something that's, you know, sort of abusive in a way, you know? Um, a slashing. You made a slashing sign with, like, a, like a knife across the throat. I don't know, man. It... it <laughs> They're not going to come to any kind of agreement about what really happened. We know that. Um, I think we're headed to agreements of some kind. And, you know, the other thing Brown could do, like I said, like Brown Brown could say, hey, they did make me play hurt. Uh, I felt pressure to be hurt. Uh, 
or you know what they they created such a bad narrative that now I can't get a job anywhere you know they owe me money because they damaged my reputation you know they did something beyond the norm here who knows where this is going to go but it ain't going to end well and 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 one more thing about all this it's a damn distraction right now it's a damned distraction right now because this team has one more regular season game. This incident happened on Sunday. Did we talk about Tom Brady's 97-yard or 93-yard drive with no timeouts and the 33-yard touchdown? Mm, not that much, right? What have we been talking about since Sunday? One guy, Antonio Brown, that whole episode. So today, now it's Wednesday, right? He's still on the team. They haven't released him. They haven't put him on a list. So he's still here. So what are we doing? We're asking A.B. about him. Then we're asking Gronkowski about him. Then we're asking Ndamukong Sue or whoever else went on the podium, Kevin Minter. Tomorrow, or today as you listen to this podcast, we're going to be talking to, you know, to the guy that might know him as well as anybody, and that's Byron Leftwich because he was there when he came to the league as a rookie. And he loves, and that's not too strong a word, he loves Antonio Brown. But he's not going to want to talk about him. But guess what? We're not going to be talking about the Atlanta Falcons, I assure you that. Or not the Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers for the final game. This is going to continue on until or unless they make some kind of resolution. And it's a damn distraction. Players don't want to talk about this. Coaches don't want to talk about it. The hell, the media doesn't want to continue talking about this. But until it's resolved, you're going to be asking questions about what they're doing and how they're doing it. The biggest picture here, Steve, is this. You chose to have this guy part of your football team a year ago, right? You knew what his reputation is. You knew that he had blown up his relationship with three other franchises before he got here. And then, you know, after being suspended for eight games... The only reason he was brought here was because Tom Brady wanted him. Godwin got hurt. Mike Evans shouldn't have been playing in Chicago. And Brady looked around and said, if this happens later in the year when we're in crunch time, I'm in trouble. I need somebody else. I need Antonio Brown. He's out there. I'll vouch for him. He can live with me. We got to get him. And they got him because I know damn well that Bruce Arians didn't want him. Because we asked him six months earlier. You know what changed his mind? Tom Brady. Because they were beholding to Tom Brady for everything. That's why Leonard Fournette was here. That's why Gronkowski was here. You know? So, and he put a ring on their fingers. He validated all that faith that they put in him. All that control. All that power, if you will. And when it came time to re-signing all these guys, and they got you know, 22 starters back. The last guy they signed was Antonio Brown. They could have walked away. They could have said, look, we got eight games in a Super Bowl. We're good. We're good. We got what we needed, right? No, they wanted him back. Tom Brady wanted him back. And he came back. He came back two weeks after he reached a settlement with his trainer on all the charge, all the, you know, sexual assault charges or whatever that she had accused him of in a civil suit. So 
you got what you bargained for, partner. You know, it, it, it was the, the expiration date came up on Pittsburgh. It happened in Oakland. He got in trouble while he was in New England. They tolerated him for one week. And now here you are, almost through the second season. He's played the equivalent of one full season, if that. And this is your this is now your nightmare. And now some other team will have to decide if he's worth the trouble, if he gets his gets his foot fixed or not. So what a mess. You know, what a mess at a time when you got enough messes to clean up, right? Like you're missing players. You need Antonio Brown if he were healthy. She says he's not. But you could have used him for sure. You gotta figure out how to put this back together. And you gotta move on. Oh yeah, one other guy talks today. Tom Brady. <laughs> Tom Brady gets to address what A B's charges were. But you know what about his friend? He should stand there and 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 tell us, you know, he's already I think he's already kind of said on the podcast in other places, I don't know what happened. The next thing I know he's 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 just not on the field. And to Brady's credit, he didn't sulk about it. He went out and beat him with, you know, Tyler Johnson and Cyril Grayson. But, you know, distraction? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the chickens came home to roost, man. I mean, it was, it's happened everywhere he's been. And what made you think? And that's the question for Bruce Arians. Like, you know, what would ever, ever make you think that it wouldn't happen here again? Because it just that's that's who the guy is. Like something's gonna gonna blow up at some point. So we'll be out there to talk a little bit more to to Tom Brady and Byron Leftwich and anybody else that wants to comment on Antonio Brown. But unless he until or unless you know they figure out what to do with him procedurally, IR, get a doctor to look at him, uh, release him outright. I don't know, but. The sooner they cut ties with Antonio Brown, the more the faster they can move forward. Because it's really hard, you know, you're saying all the right things, you know, next man up, sour grace, blah, blah, blah. But it's really hard to be sitting here talking about Brown every day. That's that's not going to help them. And I would think they'd try to clean this up pretty quick. But, hey, it's already Thursday, and, you know, he's still on the roster. So I don't know. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Best time of the week, time to talk college football with Matt Baker, and he joins us now. Matt, you were at the better of the two semifinals in the college football playoffs. I'm not sure that's saying a whole lot, but um, listen, we'll start with the game you were at, uh, Cincinnati, uh, you know, against uh, Alabama. I, I thought it was interesting to me, and I've had this discussion with Steve Versnick too, it seemed like Cincinnati offensively weren't as aggressive as maybe they could have been. I'm sure they were concerned about their offensive line and whether you know protection and things like that. Um, they were close, right? But no cigar. I mean, you know, you, you have the 
the ball batted down that was an absolute touchdown if if the guy beats you know wins on the slant route all those things so what how close did they really come to maybe making this a contest well thanks for having me on it it was competitive but not close i guess is the way i i would say it um they did not Mm -hmm. get the doors blown off them it it wasn't Mm. like one of those situations where like these guys just don't belong where these guys are clearly out talented everywhere they don't have enough dudes what are they doing here it it wasn't that situation um Mm. the situation was alabama was just better and and they were particularly better along the lines um you know, it, Cincinnati's offensive line was was fine, but it wasn't great. I think I said on this this show that that was the concern that I had with them is whether their line was going to be able to hold up against Alabama's front, and and it wasn't. Um, I don't know what level of scheming and and mastery and trickery and and whatever you were going to do was going to fix that. Uh, I, I think Alabama was just better, but Cincinnati was not completely overmatched, if that makes sense. I mean, you look at the way uh, Bryant and, and, and Ahmad Gardner um, played Cincinnati's defensive backs. I thought they played pretty well against Alabama's um, against Alabama's receivers. I just think that there was a, there were some size issues that were unable to be overcome, again, on the front. And then, you know, Brian Robinson, uh, the Alabama running back, who's he's a, he's a good running back, a, a very good running back. He's not the Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram you know, uh, Najee Harris, yeah. he's not on, on that level, but he's still pretty good. And he showed that uh, uh, the other night um, in Arlington where he just kind of became a, a beast. And, you know, when the third or fourth best player on your offense is, is still a top 150 recruit who's that big and hard to bring down, that's trouble. And I think that's kind of the situation it was for Cincinnati where they were able to do pretty well defending the pass, all things considered, but they just couldn't stop the run because they just didn't have enough dudes there. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's where coaching comes into play, right? I mean, Nick Saban attacked them where he thought he had an advantage. Um, We've talked about Cincinnati's corners are very, very good. Uh, They didn't really go after him all that much for good reason, but they they did win the physicality battle. There's no question about that. I mean, that's how they won this football game. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the thing about the great teams and the elite teams is they're able to win games in different ways. Yes. You look at yes. the way Bama beat Georgia. It, it wasn't running the ball. It was <laughs> Bryce Young right. having a fantastic, I mean, I don't think it's too hard to say all time great performance or tr- certainly a transcendent performance in the SEC championship game with the way he was able to throw and, you know, t- to Jamison and those guys. Um, and then this was completely different where, Bryce Young was again. I'm not saying he was a bum. He, he was he was good. He did what he needed to do. But this was the Brian Robinson show because that's what the matchup dictated, and that's one of the things that separates the Alabamas and Georgias from the everybody else is they can beat you in a bunch of different ways. And you know we can we'll talk about more about that matchup I'm sure in a minute. But that was kind of one of my takeaways from the other night is that or the other afternoon I should say that Bama clearly can win different ways. Yes, they can. And uh, one team that can't win different ways, apparently, were the Michigan Wolverines. Um, look, uh, it, uh, Jim Harbaugh did well to get this team to a national semifinal. But, man, the Hounds were back on his doorstep after that uh, performance against Georgia, who is clearly just just better, right? I mean, 34-11, to 11, this was never a contest, uh, to say the very least. What did you make of this? I mean, what, was there anything? Is it just Michigan style? I mean, they just weren't as good. We know that. Was there anything that uh, strategically that, that the Wolverines could have done different that would have made any difference? No. 
<laughs> no, I, I think it's just it's it's a situation where I, I say it every week on this, and I'm going to be writing it on TampaBay.com and in and Sunday's Tampa Bay Times. Dudes win games. Yeah. It's 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 that simple. You know, I, I I'm am I thrilled about a Georgia Alabama matchup? No, I'm not. I, I'd love to to be writing about different teams. That's why I wrote so much about Cincinnati leading up to it. And, no, I, it'd be great to be right, talking about Michigan or Notre Dame, uh, Oklahoma State, whoever it is. But the teams with the most dudes typically win. And, you know, the, the number that, that kind of threw me off when I looked it up, um, Alabama has 74 players, 85 scholarships, right? 74 players were four or five star recruits, so blue chip guys. Wow. Cincinnati had seven. 74 to 7 was the disparity there. Georgia has 19 five-stars on their roster. Michigan has three. I, I mean, it's it's five-stars are not everything. Recruiting is not everything. You know, Georgia's most important player is Stetson Bennett, who was a two-star coming out of high school, three-star coming out of JUCO. No, recruiting is not everything. But if, you know, the, the people who evaluate talent and who generally do a good job say, okay, Georgia, you can have 19 of the first 22 picks on which of the guys on these rosters you want. George is probably going to win. And I think that's the way it was where um, for Michigan to win, for Georgia to lose, in addition to talent, having more talent there, you're also going to have to just have the right style of play. And Michigan is not built for that. You know, Michigan is a kind of a ground and pound team, more or less. And Georgia matches up very, 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 very well against that. So they just didn't have the, you know, Michigan was a very good team. Let, let's let's get that straight. This is one of the best Michigan teams of my lifetime, period. End of story. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. they were not built, the roster was not built to try to spread it around a, a ton. And if that's even the right way to beat Georgia. And they didn't have, you know, they weren't built to to win a game against Georgia. And from how, again, just the structure of the team, the recruiting base, everything else. And that's why they lost big. They certainly can't fall behind because of the style they play. They need to control the game um, and, and not have to come from behind, you know, throwing the ball all the time when you're down two or three touchdowns. You know, the, the brushback a little bit, I, get, I mean, it's, it's big-time college football, right? You beat Ohio State, everybody's happy for a week. You lose in the semifinal to Georgia. Now, like I said, some people were upset with Jim Harbaugh. It seems as if his agent, because this is how these things usually work, uh, is, is putting out the word that, yeah, maybe I would be interested in the NFL if they came calling again. That had not been the message from Harbaugh in the past. Of course, he's not speaking for himself. They never do it that way. Um, surprised at all the blowback uh, on Harbaugh? And, w- and do you have any thoughts about whether he would stick it out there or maybe hop to the NFL? Does he have an agent? I don't know. You know. Maybe not. <laughs> I don't I, know. I, I only, most, I only, most of them do. Yeah. You're, you're, you're right. But I only asked because <laughs> this will take us back. Uh, Florida, Michigan Peach Bowl after the 2018 season. Um, I guess the Bucks were looking for a coach or getting ready to look for yeah. a coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there, there were rumblings that Harbaugh may or may not be interested in the league. And, and the Bucks mm-hmm. would have been a team that might have made sense. So mm-hmm. I remember asking Harbaugh specifically, before, you know, like the one of the press conferences, have you had any contact with NFL teams? Have they contacted you or your people or whatever? And he didn't answer mm-hmm. part of it, but said, I, I don't have agents. I don't have people. <clears throat> so that's the only reason yeah. I bring that up. Um, yeah, maybe not. Th- 
Yeah, to, to the actual meat. And that doesn't mean, you know, just because he doesn't have an agent doesn't mean he doesn't have people who talk around him. Like, sure, okay. sure. Um, so to the actual meat of your question, Michigan made the playoff, and they beat Ohio State. They got the monkey off their back. Like, it, it's Yes, they got crushed by, by Georgia. They did. I, I got news for you. Uh, almost everybody gets crushed by Georgia. That's going to happen. It could have been Oklahoma State. It could have been Notre Dame. It could have been almost any other team in the country. And it was probably going to be pretty similar, where Georgia was going to come out ticked off of the way they played their last game, and they were going to play like a team that had more five stars than anybody else in the country. That's the way it is. So I understand that Michigan fans are, are disappointed that that's the way it happened and that they were crushed on, on the big stage, but that's the way it is right now. Um, every semifinal, I think there's been three good semifinals in the playoff era. Um, you know, there was the Alabama or the um, Oklahoma, Georgia, Rose Bowl thriller, um, Alabama, Ohio State, I think at the first year. And uh, there was one other one that was good as well. But almost every other game is a blowout. Um, some of it's the fact that, look, look, the talent is um, bottlenecked at the top where there's only, again, these couple teams. And don't get don't I don't want to go down the hole. The BCS was better because there's only two teams that can win a title. Georgia was a number three seed and deserved the number three seed because of what happened the last game and, and how well Michigan played. So if yeah. we had the BCS, Georgia, who was clearly one of the two best teams, probably wouldn't have gotten a chance to play for the national title, which clearly they they deserve to have that shot. So it, this isn't the BCS is better. No, this is the fact that the talent is clustered among a handful of programs that is getting that number is getting smaller and smaller it seems it's the fact that the playoff in its stupid wisdom there's a month off between the conference championship game well uh, and yeah the let me let me let me stop you right there cuz we'll go right to the mailbag question you're about to answer it um from uh we got a mailbag question from Brian and it's just that are the college football semifinal games blow up partly because the teams have a month to prepare uh versus the one week before the championship game i think you're about to address that Yes, that is that is part of it. Um, it kills the momentum that you have, um, just in mm-hmm. terms of in season. Um, it allows, you know, if a team's, let's, I'm just making this up here, but let's say Bama's got some guys who are who are, who are banged up, and yeah. uh, they're playing Utah. I'm, again, I'm just making this up here, and Utah's mm-hmm. a lot healthier. Well, Utah would have a better chance, but you give that those couple weeks for for the the bumps and bruises on Bama to heal, then Bama's going to be closer to full strength. With, with the better dudes, that's going to play a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at just the, the sheer number of analysts and what have you that Bama and Georgia and those guys have, and you give them an extra couple weeks to break mm-hmm. down film, there, there, mm-hmm. there's going to be no secrets to what Cincinnati was going to do, unless they came out and completely reinvented the wheel. But if you do yeah. that, then your team's not going to be as comfortable, and, and there, there's a lot of factors there. So, yeah, you, you give the best teams all that time to prepare with the best players who are playing healthier and the hot team has to cool off for a couple weeks. Yeah. All that stuff adds up into the blowouts. I I still think the biggest reason is there's a gap between the top two teams every year, just about every year and everybody else. Um, But I'm still banging the playoff needs to expand drum because teams three, four through now 10 those are are pretty bunched together as well and when we saw that with with the the new year six games where ohio state and utah play a fantastic rose bowl 
and mm-hmm. Oklahoma State and Notre Dame play a fantastic Fiesta Bowl. Mm-hmm. And Michigan State Pitt is pretty entertaining, even though the top two players in that game opted out. So I kind of and and the Baylor Ole Miss was was fairly competitive too. So there's there's a gap between the couple halves and then the next tier. But if those next tier are playing playoff games, again, and you you change the schedule a little bit where Baylor has a chance to keep rolling instead of having that time off or whatever yeah. it is. Maybe we can get more competitive matchups in the playoff. Part of that, and this is the second part of the mailbag question from Brian, uh, and I think you addressed a little bit of it, but he says, do you think if the playoff field expands, it could help develop programs similar to the NCAA tournament, which size attributes uh, like Gonzaga and other pro- programs um, become national powers? In other words, more programs in the tournament. <clears throat> I don't have to go to Georgia and Alabama. I can make it you know, to a national championship playoff uh, if the playoff field is expanded and therefore maybe more dudes end up at some of these other schools. I appreciate the, the dude lexicon. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, yes, absolutely. Um, because first of all, I don't think the cluster of talent can get much worse. <laughs> True. I just, True. I just, I just don't. Um, it, when you look at that, just the number of, of five stars, there's, here's a stat here on my, my scratch paper. There's 125 five stars in Division One right now, g- mm-hmm. give or take. And Alabama and Georgia have 33 of them. So oh more than gosh. a quarter of the five stars in the entire country are playing wow. at two programs. Wow. If you expand that to the top four programs, Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Clemson, that's what, 49 50%. I'm sorry, 59. 59 of the 129 are at wow. those schools. Wow. It's, I mean, this is the way the system is set up. It's not, that problem is not going to get worse when you expand the, the playoff. I, I think it will get, I think things will get better because here, here's what happens. Pitt had a, had a very good season. One of the best seasons, I mean, the best Pitt season probably of my lifetime, maybe, maybe longer than that. And, the consolation prize at the end was they got to go to the Peach Bowl, where the best player didn't play. Mm. And that's that's a nice thing for Pitt, but let's say instead of going to the Peach Bowl, they are hosting uh, Notre Dame in a playoff game. That is a huge deal to Pitt. That is one of the biggest games that Pitt has played in school history. Everybody in Pittsburgh is talking about that game because that game means something. If we win this, then we get to go to the quarterfinal or, or however the system is set up. That's a huge deal. And then you add fa- in the fact that it, at least one or two of the games would be on campus at Pitt, where now you can have maybe you have, can have recruits there. And recruits are talking about this buzzing atmosphere where everything matters. That's going to be huge. And, and it doesn't, you know, is it going to get, you know, have Pitt number one in recruiting? No, it's not. But maybe some guy, a five-star in Philadelphia, whatever it is, says, you know what? This is, this is fantastic. I want to go there. I, I don't want to go to Alabama. It's too far away. Mm-hmm. This is what I want because I know Pitt can play at this level and have this kind of energy. Okay, well, that's one that goes to Pittsburgh instead of Alabama. And then you factor in the same thing happening at Utah, Cincinnati, Michigan, mm-hmm. Michigan State. Pick your school. If yeah. those things just cause a tiny little ripple, and Ohio State gets a, a couple fewer dudes, and Clemson gets a couple fewer dudes, and Bama gets a couple fewer dudes. Then suddenly the gap shrinks just a tiny bit, and then and then you factor in everything else that's going on with the sport, with NIL and and, and everything yeah. else. Maybe that the stranglehold at the top can be just a little bit weaker, 
And I, those type of things do matter. Uh, the, the example I always use, and I, I know I've used it on this podcast, the, to go back to the Alabama-Georgia National Championship game in January 2018 in Atlanta. Um, you know, Alabama it takes him to overtime because they, they bench Jalen Hurts for Tua. And second and 26, Tua rolls out, throws a bomb downfield uh, to, to some guy that I did not know a single thing about who catches a 41-yard touchdown pass in overtime to win. That guy I didn't know a single thing about had, I believe, seven career touchdowns or seven career catches. Ended up being Devontae Smith. Mm. who's the best receiver in the last 20 years in college football, maybe more than that. Ends up winning the Heisman, ends up being a first-round pick, superstar. And that's the guy that wins the national championship, who who happened to be mm. a top, you know, blue-chip recruit, elite talent. They got dudes all over the place, but this is the one that me- that needed to make the play because he could get open because he, even though he had hardly played, was better than everybody else. So maybe in a different world, Devontae Smith doesn't go to Bama. So he's not there to make that play. So something else happens. You see where I'm going with this. It's Absolutely. and all those little things could add up. And maybe, well, you know, Alabama and Georgia are still both going to be really good, but maybe they're just not quite as good. And maybe you know, a tiny little um, dent in the armor makes it easier for Notre Dame to break through with, with a bunch of four stars, or the gap to shrink with, with the top couple and the Oklahoma, Notre Dame, Florida's, except for this year in that next tier. So that's, I, I do think that that's a very long winded answer to say, yes, I think if the playoff expands, you can, you could see some of those things happening. Well, with some, as you mentioned, with some almost 60% of five-star recruits going to four programs, that would be like, take the NFL championship teams and just say, you guys get six out of every 10 draft picks. It would certainly, uh, you know, tilt the balance of power for those four teams uh, incredibly. And that's sort of what's happening in college football. Um, wanted to ask you, uh, you know, uh, of course we got the national championship game, a repeated SEC title game. We talked before the semifinals, Matt, about Stetson Bennett and just how he would bounce back from sort of a dreadful performance in the SEC title game. Um, not a five-star recruit, um, not a dynamic playmaker in the sense that you would think of a Bryce Young or somebody like that. Tell you what, folks, he played a big game and he played really well. He absolutely did. Three touchdowns, no picks. Uh, I, I'm still, I don't know what it is, but I still have doubts. Um, that's, that's probably not fair to him. Um, but I, no. I, still, I still have doubts. And, and I think some of it is just looking back to way, the way he played last year, which is not fair because players get better. That happens. And then mm-hmm. it, he wasn't, he wasn't god-awful against Bama. You know, you look at the numbers, three touchdowns, two picks, 60% completion percentage. He wasn't the reason they lost to, to Alabama. They lost because <laughs> their defense couldn't stop it. Bryce Young and right. those guys. That was the, the issue. It's just right. that I'm still not sure if this gets into a shootout, which it very well could, where let's say mm-hmm. Georgia's defense doesn't play better and Bryce Young can, you know, plays out of his mind again. And, and Bama scores 42 points. I don't know that Stetson Bennett can score 45 to win. I still don't know that. I, I, and that's probably not fair to him. But that's just kind of, I need to see it happen at a high level before I can believe it. And you look to it, just the guys behind him with JT Daniels and how talented he is. I, I still think at some point, the most likely path to a Georgia win 
Obviously, the defense is going to have to be better, but at some point, Stetson Bennett's going to have to make a national championship winning play in some capacity. Maybe he can. I'm I'm still just not sold. Well, I think when you get to these big games, and at least in the NFL, I don't know if it's true in college football. Obviously, you talked about how many great players Alabama and Georgia have, um, but I think sometimes it comes down to what your confidence pick, right? Is it it's a coach quarterback type of game, uh, more so in the NFL, but still, if you've got Nick Saban and Bryce Young versus Stetson Bennett and, and Kirby Smart, I'm going to take Bryce Young and Nick Saban. <laughs> That's just me, um, uh, you know. But but. Uh, this is the second time they've played, right? And so uh, it's fresh in their minds what they need to do different. I just don't know that Georgia has the personnel to cover their receivers any better. I suppose they could try to put more pressure on Young. You would think that Alabama will definitely try to attack them again through the air with the kind of game that he had. So unless you're going to bring in some new corners or have a you know ha- have more of a of a pass rush or something, I I I just think it's going to go Alabama's way again. But listen. Uh, that's why they play the games. And what what could Georgia do differently? I guess is going to be the question to try to to try to make that uh, have a different outcome in this one. I think it's going to have to. They're going to have to pressure Bryce Young. I think that's it. Yeah. He had yeah. too much time um, in their first meeting to yeah. just pick him apart and make mm-hmm. make fantastic deep passes. And I mean his his deep ball is insane. Um, so that's what's going to have to change, where they're going to have to yeah. pressure him and make him uncomfortable. Um, I yeah. don't know that you can make him uncomfortable just because I don't think I've really seen it. He, he is so, so poised. You talk to other coaches. That's the thing they talk about, they rave about him. It's just how poised and collected he is, even when things aren't going well. So, but I think the, the, the path to victory is Georgia's going to have to put more pressure on him. Um, try to force him out. Try to make him scramble and make throws. That sort of thing, because if he just has all the time in the world, like he did the last time, to sit back and 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 pick, you know, just pick his spots, that's not going to happen. Um, so th- that's what's going to ha- that's what George is going to have to do. Maybe some more exotic blitzes, more stunts, more twists, that type of stuff. Things that they didn't show the first time. I, I don't know if they were trying to hold something back. Maybe thinking, you know, what we'll probably play these guys again. Let's not show all our cards. Or, or maybe they got cocky. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I think they're going to have to be more creative in getting pressure, and, and that's the that's what they're going to have to do defensively to make this thing more competitive on that side. All right, I'm going to ask you for your pick, and then I'm going to ask you about another bowl game or two, but uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing that you favor Alabama. They're, they are favored, so do you think uh, Georgia pulls the upset, or is Alabama crowned again? I, I picked Georgia in the preseason, and so oh, okay. I'll stick with them. Um, nice. All right. I like because, that. look, eventually, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a, a math guy, a probability guy. Georgia has recruited at such a high level. Eventually, it's going to break their way. It, it just has mm-hmm. to. Law of averages. Mm-hmm. You keep collecting this much talent, eventually you will break through. And I think yeah. the way their defense has played all year except for the one game, that's more indicative of who they are than the way they played against Bama. And I think they, they're going to come out extremely motivated and ticked off. And I, I, I think Stetson Bennett is going to play well enough with that elite defense. And I think Georgia's run game is going to get something going. Maybe some, I don't know if it's uh, running backs out of the backfield on, on wheels or, or whatever it is, but I, I, I picked Georgia in the preseason. So I'm going to stick with it. 
Well, it, I mean, it's a heck of a pick if it if it turns out that way. I just hope it's a good football game. I think it'll be better because I think the team that loses makes the adjustments um, to not have the same outcome. But uh, we'll see if uh, if Bryce Young, who's been terrific all season long, will rise to the occasion and 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 win another championship for Alabama. I wanted to ask you. Uh, I don't know how much you know, look bowl season. If you're not in the semifinals, if you're not in the national championship picture. I don't think you can draw a whole heck of a lot from some of these bowl games because you have the opt-outs. You have one team that might be disappointed they didn't make it to the Final Four versus another team that's upstart and really you know, into uh, winning their last game and, and you're continuing the momentum that maybe they built throughout the year. Um, the most interesting game by far, and one of the best college football games I've watched, if you like points, was the Rose Bowl. I thought it was terrific. Ohio State's not going away, people. Uh, you talk about the, the, <laughs> no. the you talk about the dudes. They had receivers that weren't playing, replaced by guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. and some others that were absolutely unbelievable, right? And C.J. Stroud, whether it was because he got ticked off, be lost to Michigan or not, put up a not just a Rose Bowl record, but a bowl record in passing yards and touchdowns. The Buckeyes look like they're not going away. They're going to be right back in this next year, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they were a little bit slow early on. Obviously they, they had the hiccup to Oregon, which was kind of confusing in, in retrospect, just the way Oregon ended up playing down the stretch. Um, but it just took them a little time to click with a new quarterback and, and that happens That happens, but yeah. you know, and, and obviously Michigan just came out and just, just dominated them. Um, mm-hmm. Along the front, particularly, but yeah, Ohio State is going to be really, really good. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, three hundred and forty-seven receiving yards. I, I, I guess that's happened before, <laughs> but um, I don't remember it. Um, no, I, I was, I was, I was driving back from from Texas. Uh, we stopped in uh, Daphne, Alabama. We're trying to find a place to eat, and so we were listening to the game on the radio. And then we, we stopped and uh, found a, like a teriyaki bowl place because nothing else was open. And we got to watch the last couple minutes of the game, and I look up and see that he has 300 yards. I'm like, wait a second. He has 300 receiving yards? Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, they're, they're going to be really good. Um, when, when they lose you know, uh, Wilson and, and Olave, and then they bring in Jackson Smith and Jigma and, and, and Marvin Harrison Jr., who's way more physically gifted than his old man was, <laughs> and who is yeah. you know, a Hall of Fame receiver, um, yeah, they're not going away. They're going to yeah, they're going to be really, really good next year, and uh, probably pencil in for the playoff right now. Of all the discussion we've had today, I am probably most interested in a review of the teriyaki bowl that you found in Daphne, Alabama. <laughs> So uh, we we were looking we were looking for food, and there was a Nukes that was by the hotel. It was closed. Uh, Moe's was closed. Publix was closed. Chick Fil A was closed. Um, there was something else that we were going to go to. Uh, Sticks, a, a kind of Pan Asian restaurant. It was closed. And then finally, we're like, okay, this thing right by the Publix is open. And I had a, a kind of beef teriyaki bowl. My wife had a, had a chicken one. The, the four year old. Eight little bits of each. Yeah, it was solid for for, nice. for what we needed, which was food, so we can get the four year old to bed immediately. It uh, did its job. So shout out to whatever that place was. That's awesome. That's awesome <laughs> that there is there is a suitable uh, teriyaki bowl to be had in Daphne, Alabama. I love it. All right, Matt. Well, listen, it's been a uh, an unbelievable college football season, and you have been there every step of the way uh, covering it uh, for the Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com. One more big national championship game to go. 
Uh, we'll talk to you. Happy New Year. Thanks for uh, for all that you have brought us, and we'll see how the game plains out uh, with uh, Georgia and Alabama. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I know maybe the rest of the nation has uh, SEC fatigue. I just like good football. I think this is going to be a great game. I, I think so, too. I, I don't think it's going to be the blowout the first one was. I'm, no, I'm, I'm fortunate enough. I got family to stay with in Indy, so I'm, gonna, I'm covering the game. Crashed with, with my parents for a bit, my, my friend Carly up there. Um, I'm really looking forward to it just because I know the level that these guys can play at. And shoot, the last time they played in a national title game was one of the best games, <laughs> certainly in the last decade, maybe longer than that. So we'll see if this, uh, this finish can kind of uh, you know live up to that. Hopefully so. Should be a great game. Thanks, Matt. Have a good weekend. Sure. Thanks. You too. All right. It was a busy podcast. My thanks again, as always, to Matt Baker. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to preview, of course, the Bucks against the Carolina Panthers. Week 18, 17th game of the season. These guys have never played this many ever in the history of the NFL, regular season games at least. So we'll get their opinions on that, and we'll preview that contest. Second time in three weeks they've played the Panthers. That might be a little difficult. Matt Rule fighting for his job. Uh, we'll see who he settles on at quarterback. And then the Lightning tonight are home against Calgary. Calgary. Blake uh, Coleman will get his ring. Yeah, that's right. Another tribute to a former mm-hmm. player. I hear that uh, the Flames are pretty good this year. They are. They're uh, like third in their division out west, so they're a really good road team too, although the Panthers just beat them on Tuesday night. But, uh, yeah, they're yeah. a good team this year. They're a long way from home, bro. I've been to Calgary. That's a long way. Oh, man. You know, the weather's Were a little better guys? here right now, though, so they got to be enjoying Ooh. it. Yeah, it is. It's yeah, it's it's a lot of snow up there. Um, apparently, the last couple last week or so. But yeah, much colder. When they, when they did that series in '04, the Stanley Cup final, you know, mm-hmm. Tom Jones and those guys all traveled back and forth, and and uh, man, they took some long long flights. Yep. Just doing that series, so uh, maybe they'll get maybe they'll get on Eastern time and play pretty play better against Lightning. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll have more. I'm sure I'm on Antonio Brown, Tom Brady Speaks, all of that today. Byron Leftwich, keep it right here and check it out on TampaBay.com and in the Tampa Bay Times, all your Bucks news, of course, and everything else that, uh, that you need. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 